Again, good morning. Well, if you will, grab a Bible to some of the pew if you need one and open up to Luke chapter 11. Um, so I will say this, after preparing and, and preaching uh, last Sunday's sermon as we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, I you know, personally felt this conviction, this idea that I, I really wanted to see my prayer life uh, be improved. I was encouraged to do so, excited to do so, to, to spend more time in prayer with our Heavenly Father. And, and then I found life kind of happened. And, and though there were changes, not nearly as drastic as I had hoped to be the case. Uh, and it kind of has me wondering, especially since y'all all confessed last week that you didn't remember the sermon that I've preached twice in the history of our church now. Uh, anyone else have that experience? Few guilty people. Okay, I'm with you. Um, well, here's what's neat. Uh, by working our way through God's Word, Luke chapter 11, uh, I'm thankful that God's Word has us going into uh, a sermon that's focusing on prayer once again this week. It, it really is you know, giving us a, a second bite of the same meal, right? To get a better grasp on, on what you're tasting here. And it's a, a chance to, to, to be encouraged that we might go and, and seek our Heavenly Father through prayer. Uh, for His glory, for our comfort, and so on. And so... Uh, just to keep in perspective, uh, remember where we're at, the Lord's Prayer. We just looked at last week, uh, right before this section. It's all one statement for Jesus. There's no break. Like It, it goes from one to the next uh, is where we're picking up. And so this week, we're going to see Jesus telling a few stories. These are parables, very short parables, uh, to teach us what sort of mindset, what sort of uh, attitude and, and way that we bring our prayers to God is what we're going to look at. Now, uh, one more thing before we read here, though, is I want to point out to you that, that Jesus is going to begin this with this phrase, which of you, and it's actually a, a phrase that shows up very often in the Gospel of Luke. This is the first time uh, that we're going to see it, but every time Jesus uses that phrase, which of you, uh, you can know that there's something absurd coming afterwards, okay? It's, it's just this complete kind of <clears throat> setup of wildly absurd something. Like, like if, uh, if I were to say, which of you... When your car gets dirty inside from driving it around, just throws it away and buys a new one, right? And, and you all know the, the assumption here is none of you, I hope, right? If you do, we need to talk um, about your budget, <laughs> right? So the obvious answer is none of us. And so that's kind of what we're going to be seeing here as well. And every time you see that in the Gospel of Luke, just know it's coming. Something absurd is coming. So uh, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read it in three sections today. Uh, our first section, just beginning there in Luke uh, chapter 11, verse 5. And he, when it starts with he, it's Jesus. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut now, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is, a, he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I'm going to stop right there. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious to us and glorious in all aspects. Lord, we truly do want to understand what Jesus is teaching in these nine verses. We want to to see Jesus' intentions in saying these things come to fruition in our actual lives. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would, would enlighten our minds this morning as we, we set this time apart 
and our week to worship you and to focus on your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you, just show of hands, have been woken up in the middle of the night by a big knock on the door? Right? That is a lot of you. So either you have a lot of strangers showing up at your doors or you have horrible friends. Um, something of that nature. I, I will say the one event I can ever remember in our house is when it was a police officer or something going on in the neighborhood knocking on our door. But I found it absolutely terrifying that someone would come at that kind of hour. It's terrifying. It's just annoying on every level. And, and, and so that's kind of what's going on in this passage. No, that's exactly what's going on in this passage. Uh, and, and so here's how it goes. It's, uh, it's part of this story where Jesus is telling it to make a, a point. In, in, in first century Israel, you've got to understand that, that friends didn't text. They didn't tell you they're going to come uh, to town. The moment you would know that your family or friends are, are coming to visit you is when they show up on your door uh, needy and, and wanting things and expecting you to take them in and, and host them, right? So, so it's a little different. And uh, you can try that this week. It is Thanksgiving. Feel free to show up to anyone's house you want besides mine and make yourself at home for a while. Um, so we also need to know, though, that, that hospitality, because we can't understand this. Like, what we think is good hospitality, we have no clue. Hospitality and, and their culture was, was such that it was absolutely shameful if someone shows up at your house and you didn't have food for them. Even if they're showing up at 2 a.m. in the morning, right? You, you're supposed to be able to host people. And, and to make things even worse in this time period, this, this culture, is when they do show up in the middle of the night, you and I, we can go through Taco Bell and get one of those party packs of like a dozen tacos or, uh, you know, 24-hour Walmart and get some pizzas, no place to go except your friend's house. Uh, that's what happens, right? And so this friend shows up. He can either be a horrible, shameful, uh, you know, showing shoddy hospitality, or he can go ask his friend, and that's what he chooses to do. And, and did you notice this? It's kind of nuanced in there, but uh, when the guy shows up and asks for bread, what's he begin his, his statement to him with? What's he call him? Friend. And when the guy responds back to him, do you see friend? No friend, right? Let that be a lesson to you. <clears throat> so the guy in the house then goes on to give these four different reasons for, for why he just can't help. And you see him there in verse 7. Number one, uh, do not bother me. That's the reason. Uh, number two, the door is shut, right? I, he won't, it can't open it. Uh, number three, my children are in bed. And number four, I cannot get up to give you anything. And, and the subtext of what he's really saying here, you probably know because you've either done it or you've seen your children do it or witnessed someone done it because we've all been grumpy and, and given that sort of response that, you know, that's really uh, saying this, uh, you're annoying, your requests are ridiculous, so I will now invent reasons why I cannot help you. Right? My, my hands are full. You have like a pencil in your hand, something like that. Uh, in fact, the only reason, and some of you probably noticed it, the only reason that carries any weight here is the idea that the kids are in bed. Because, you know, in our day and age, we tend to expect every child is supposed to have their own room. But in, in this time period, not only did the children not all have their own room, even the parents didn't tend to have their own room. Everyone, one room, one bed, sleeping together, shared, shared in that way. And, and so he's saying, if, if I come and I open that door, it's going to make noise. And, and these children are going to wake up and we're going to get no sleep. Those of you with young children or can remember it, which you probably can't. That's one of those ways God protects us. You just forget. Um, you know what he's talking about, right? Someone comes to your house, rings the doorbell, and wakes your child from sleeping. You can be sure that whoever is at the door, they are not your friend. Not anymore. Uh, right? And so Jesus doesn't just 
tell us that, you know, Jesus here doesn't tell us the rest of the conversation. We don't see what it is. Uh, we can assume by the way things go, though, that eventually this guy is annoyed enough that maybe he sighs, rolls his eyes, whatever it is, you know, tells his wife, so-and-so's at the door. Uh, and he gets up and he opens the door and he gives the man whatever he needs. Now, the important thing here is to understand why he does that. That's what Jesus wants us to see, because he's not doing it because he's a good, caring, loving friend, right? Look at verse 8, what it says. It says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is, a fr- he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. <clears throat> Do you find that confusing? Here's why it's confusing. There are two guys in this, right? Not a single name mentioned, and there are nine pronouns. And that doesn't even include the word friends, right? Which doesn't tell you who it's talking about. And and so I want to make this clear to you so you can understand what's actually going on here. I I want to give these guys some names and then read it to you again so you can see what's going on. Uh, And so we're going to call him Desperate Bread Guy. His parents named him Oddly. And Grumpy Sleepy Guy, whose parents also named him Oddly. So now listen to this. Uh, Luke 8 reads, I tell you, though Grumpy Sleepy Guy will not get up, and give desperate bread guy anything because desperate bread guy is grumpy guy, sleepy guy's friend. Now, pay careful attention here. Yet because of desperate bread guy's impotence, grumpy sleepy guy will rise and give desperate bread guy whatever desperate bread guy needs. You got that? Make a little more sense. Next question. Can any of you use the word impotence properly in a sentence? And it's impotence, okay? Don't mispronounce that or it's a totally different thing. Um, it's not a common word, is it? I, I'm willing to bet on the, on, most of us could not walk in here and give any sort of understanding of what that means, right? See, it's weird in the Greek, too. It's this unusual word. And typically, when we're looking at the Greek and there's a word or a phrase that's not real sure, what does this actually mean? We, we go and we look in other places in Scripture and say, oh, it's real clear here. Here's what it means uh, to compare it to. But In this case, it's the only instance of this word in the entirety of Scripture. And the Greek word is is called anidae. Literally, it means shamelessness. Shamelessness. Or or, or to put it in some sort of context, we we might put it like this. It's it's someone who who lacks kind of proper social sense uh, in the way they interact with things. Or maybe the best way to really understand it is to say it's kind of a, a shameless persistence. Just this boldness that's, that's unexpected, right? And, and so do you remember which one of these guys is, is just shamelessly persistent? Do you remember which one? Is it sleepy, grumpy guy or needy, bready guy? Needy, bread guy, right? And, and so you know that like <clears throat> people like this in, in real life actually exist. You, you know who they are. You might be them, right? If you don't know who they are, you probably are them. It's one of those situations. <laughs> That just go beyond what's socially accepted. You know, uh, it's, it's the person who asks, hey, can I borrow your minivan? And you're like, sure, only to find out they, they don't need it to go to Kansas City and pick someone up in the airport. They're going to Miami on vacation for a week. <laughs> so, something like that, right? Or, or they show up. Is it, is it cool that me and my 10 family members stay with you for a month? We'll be quiet, I promise. Um, Right? I, I asked for examples of this on, on Facebook the other day just to see what would happen. Uh, and, and there were some really funny ones. I have learned don't special order your Starbucks uh, with more than like 100 things on it. Uh, but one of these that really I thought fit well to the context of what this is is, is one of you, and most of you will know who I'm talking about, but for the sake of her accreditation, I'll keep her name private. Uh, you were evaluating an inmate who's in prison for homicide, and, and the inmate asked this question, what bank do you bank at? Right? And it's 
It's a bad time to walk in. You're going to give yourself away. <laughs> and, and, and then the, the, the inmate, who's in for a homicide, asks, could you transfer some of your money into my, personal, my, my, my prison account? Who asked for that? That's, that's like kind of crazy, right? Like certifiably so? You tell us. <clears throat> yes, apparently. Uh, so, so here's the weirdest part of this entire passage to me. Like really strange. Jesus is telling us to be the guy in the story that most of us <clears throat> are completely annoyed at. The guy that shows up in the middle of the night asking for bread, that's the one that's supposed to be, this is how I, I want you to be. Pray like this guy. Be, be like the annoying friend knocking on the door in the middle of the night asking for bread who doesn't seem to care that all your, your family's asleep behind you, right? J- Jesus is, is saying, to, to bring in the illustration here with our unnamed psychiatrist, <clears throat> bring your needs to God with the same shameless boldness as, as the prisoner who is asking his, his psychologist to transfer money into his account, right? That's what he's saying our prayer life should be that. That, that takes some serious moxie, right? Some serious boldness. And, and, and that's how we are to pray when we bring our request to God. In other words, we're, we're too soft about this. Now, Jesus is not teaching the opposite side of this, okay? Don't mistake this. It's not to say that God is annoyed by your prayers or that he doesn't want to help, so you have to bug him until he's, you know, the mean friend of that kind of thing that eventually does it. What what Jesus is getting at with the grumpy guy in this passage, in our passage, is that if, if even he will eventually answer his friend's need and provide for him, how much more will our gracious Heavenly Father listen to us when we come to him in prayer? And remember, this is, this is coming right on the tail of, of the Lord's Prayer. And so you can't mistake what we're seeing here, right? We are to praise God, the name of God, with shameless persistence, right? Lord's Prayer. We are to pray for God's kingdom to come with shameless persistence. We are to ask for our daily needs with shameless persistence and confess our sins and seek forgiveness with shameless persistence and ask God to protect us from temptation with shameless persistence. And you see, that whole point then is, is really what comes into this next section in our passage. It, 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 the whole point is to take this and, and you're going to contrast the grumpy guy who doesn't want to help with our Heavenly Father who is more than willing to help. Uh, let's look at it, verse 9 here. You can follow along in your, your Bibles with me. 11 verse 9. Um, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. So those are three verbs there, right? Ask, seek, knock. And all three of them uh, follow, grammatically speaking, as present active imperatives. You don't have to know what all that means except for this. Uh, The present active part is telling us this is continuous. It's not ask and then be done, right? It's continually ask, continually seek, continually knock uh, with the shameless persistence we've just been learning about. And and, and do you know what an imperative is? That's one of the, I didn't learn that until I had to sit through a grammar class. I would never have known. Uh, it just means a command. Really simple. Right? Do this. It's a command that we're to do. And so uh, what we're learning here then is that to be obedient to God like we desire to do, we, we must pray like this. He, he wants us to pray like this. And, and these verbs here, ask, seek, uh, ask, seek knock, are, are, are growing in intensity. Right? You, you, you're... You're asking for something, right? You're, you're going in pursuit of helping, uh, of help that's seeking something. And knocking should remind us really uh, of the man who is, you know, shamelessly persistent, uh, desperately needing bread who we just learned about. 
And, and, and so, you know, he's so determined that he's there knocking on the door and it should bring us right back to that same idea. And so he, here's something I do want to mention, though, is somewhere in my life, and I'll say I was either taught it or I just assumed it on my own floating through uh, growing up, you know, on the edge of, of the church for the most part, uh, later in life in the church. Um, somehow I came to the idea that we're to pray for something once and then never mention again. Like, that's it. Just, just mention it once, and that's it. Has anyone else ever come to that conclusion, or somehow I got messed up along the way? Okay, there's a few of you that are messed up with me. Um, I believe the idea comes from a wrong understanding of Matthew 6, 7, where Jesus is, is speaking, and he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And so the idea was, don't have many words. Now, Matthew 6, 7 is not about how persistently we are praying for something. Matthew 6, 7 is about uh, this, this, this idea of these, these needlessly elaborate, fancy worded, but, but heartless prayers, right? That somehow I'm going to earn God to listen to me by how well I can word this kind of thing. Uh, and, and so we're, I want you to understand that this is, we are to go to God often with our prayers. Don't, don't feel you can't keep going back to him, right? You don't treat anyone else that way in your life either. You know, Dad, can we go to the store? Dad, can we go to the store? Dad, can we go to the store? Um, <laughs> so do you keep asking God, right? Keep, keep seeking an, an answer from God. Knock on his door with your request. And, and, and we see here then the reason that, that we, are, we are knocking on this door with this request is, is seen in verse 10, right? Be, because everyone who, who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. The, the point here is we ought to pray with an expectation that we'll receive. And I know that's hard for us to do, right? We're, we're afraid to do that, I think, because so often um, we're afraid to pray that way because, you know, maybe you've prayed that way before. You prayed for your dream job and you didn't get it. Or maybe you, you prayed that the Lord would give you a spouse or a child and, and you find yourself still single or childless. I, I can remember praying like crazy for my grandfather when he was... In a, in a coma in the hospital and, and no one really knew what had gone on with him and the idea was just, just God, would you bring him out of a, a, a coma and, and then he died. And, and I think sometimes we're afraid to pray because it might not go the way we we're hoping to. Uh, we're, we're afraid to ask God for our dream job, right? We're, we're afraid to ask God for a spouse or a child. We're afraid to knock upon his door pleading for loved ones to be healed because deep down we're afraid if those prayers are not answered in the ways that we're asking, the way that we expect, that, that our faith might just flicker like a, a candle in the wind or something like that. And so listen, while there is promise that God will, there is no promise rather that God will give us exactly what we ask for in the way we ask for, in the moment we ask for, Right? God's not a magic genie. Don't equate prayer with that. And, and yet, we can have confidence that God will hear our prayers. We can have confidence that God cares about the things that we actually share with him. We can have confidence that God will answer it in the way that is best. Even if we don't know what that looks like. Even if we don't know why that's best. Even if we can list off ten reasons why we think that's not best. And, and that's the point of our last portion today. I mean, look at it. Verse 11. Follow along. I'll read it. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, did you notice in verse 13, we, we, we see again that phrase I mentioned at the beginning, almost that phrase, right, that Jesus uses, uh, and there's something absurd that comes afterwards. Uh, only instead of saying, which of you, he's saying, which father among you, and so he narrows it down a little bit. Now, you and I know that there are fathers in the world who do evil things to their children. There are exceptions to what he's saying here. And, and, and so you've got to know Jesus is assuming that the typical father that we would casually label as good. Now, to be fair, Jesus does then call up his disciples and, and these fathers, right? In general, what's he say of them? They're evil. Um, Jesus means evil, not in the sense of uh, Hitler or Charles Manson or something like that, but, but evil in the sense that everyone is evil, right? Theologically speaking, it, it's the total depravity that I am, I'm evil, born in sin, as, as the one song sings it. And so Jesus is saying here that even with our depraved hearts, right, as fathers, even, even though we're not always you know, good fathers, we still know what our children need. And so that when your children ask you, you know, hey, Dad, can I have some more fish sticks? I'm not like, Berkeley, have an eight-foot rattlesnake, you know, it's full of protein. We know better than that. And it's this ridiculous absurdness then on purpose. And, and this, this is part of this this form of reasoning, and y'all remember, I can't pronounce things, but it's a, it's a Latin word, a, a for T-R-R-I, something like that, a for tia. it's, anyway, it's a, a Latin word for an argument that, that uh, is from the stronger, is really what it literally means, and it, it works like this, um, if I know that someone can afford to spend $100, I can be very safely assumed that he can afford to spend $10, or, you know, if, if I'm absolutely you know, sure that, that you can hold your breath for three minutes underwater, then I can be even more sure that you can hold your breath underwater for, say, a minute. And, and so here Jesus is saying that if, if an evil father, right, fathers who are evil, know how to give what is good to their children, then how much more certain can we be that God, who is good and holy, knows how to give good things to his children when they ask, right? So much more certain of that. And so then we, we, we still need an answer, though, to this question that we asked earlier. You know, why, why is it that we, we can pray with shameless persistence and hopeful expectation and, and that sort of boldness when still at sometimes what we pray for doesn't come true? Why isn't it a one for one? Absolutely. And I, and I want you to see something here. It's easy to miss here. But look at this. I want you to see it when you're seeing it. Um, that was redundant. Did you notice that these last few verses, it doesn't say, if a son asks for a fish, his father will give him a fish? It doesn't say that. It says his father won't give him a serpent. He won't give him something evil. He won't give him something harmful that, that's bad for him, right? Just, just like good parents don't always give their children specifically what they ask for. Instead, parents will give to their children what's best for them. It should, anyway. Which brings to mind verses like Romans 8.28. You're probably familiar with this, but it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So listen, there, there's a lot of mystery in the world that we, we don't know why God might not heal someone, right? I, I to this day, can't with any absolute certainty say, this is why God did not heal my grandfather, right? That's, that's a bit of a mystery, but I can with absolute certainty trust that it was best
for his glory and for all of us who know and and love my grandfather in one way or another. And I could list off a bunch of theories, but I couldn't know for sure. Now, when when our children in our house ask for candy, right? Because I'm hungry, I need some candy. And then Laura gives them sliced apples or something like that. And instead, they don't have to know all the reasons, right? They're old enough now, they typically realize there's a sugar difference and whatnot. But you don't have to know all the reasons why, but they can just trust that it's for our good. There's a good reason that she's doing this, right? So like that for us a lot. Um... Jesus teaches the same idea that he's, we're seeing here in Luke 11 in Matthew chapter 7. And only in that instance, it's in a, a more robust, worked out sermon that he's preaching. And, uh, and Jesus says our, our Heavenly Father uh, will give good things, right? That's kind of a generic good gifts come from, from God for those when we ask them. Uh, in our instance, those good things are actually defined very specifically. The good gift of God is, is defined as the Holy Spirit, which... If we're fair, it's a little odd at first because everything else that Jesus has mentioned through this is, is dealing with temporal things, right? Like physical type things, the, the need of bread, uh, the example of the egg and the fish and, and such. And so, you know, it's, it's a little weird that way. Now, be honest. Does it disappoint you on any level to hear that God gives the good gift of the Holy Spirit that that's defined for you? Like... Like, I thought we could ask and seek and knock for anything, right? It's just this open-ended, huge thing. But, but really, is it just the Holy Spirit? That wasn't what I hoped, right? Kind of like when someone's like, I got you this gift for your birthday. You're going to love it. And then you find out that it's predefined. And what they got you was they, uh, they gave a donation in your name to the National Model Train Association or something like that. And you're like, oh, okay, thanks. Um, listen. Matthew 7 and so many other passages make it absolutely clear. You can pray to God about anything and everything and you should. Absolutely. Don't, don't be discouraged when, when you have it defined here for you uh, on that level, right? Do, do pray bold and specific prayers for big things, little things. But also right now in this passage, just, just be amazed at what we're actually learning here. God, God can give you the single greatest gift in the whole in the universe, ever. That, that's what we're seeing here. There is nothing greater. You, you know, you kind of have to understand this, that, that there, there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is fully divine, right? This promise then of the Holy Spirit is a promise for God himself to dwell within us. That's huge. And if you don't think it's huge, it's because you just haven't grasped it yet. The, the Holy Spirit then is is the gift of salvation. He he is the gift of the ability to repent and have faith in Jesus, the the gift of conviction at when we sin as Christians, right? The gift of strength for mortifying sin, for for obedience to God. This is the gift of the fruit that we learn about in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. If you're singing it right, This is the gift that came first at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it comes to any and every sinner who asks God to forgive them. When we seek God for salvation, when we knock on his door of his kingdom, we know that his doors swing wide open and we're invited in. Not as strangers from the street, right? Not as the annoying neighbor down the way, but we are invited in as his children, his dear children. 
We, we experience then what Galatians 4, 6 says when it says, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There is literally no greater gift that you can receive than the Holy Spirit. Nothing. And so then, I do want to ask, just coming back towards the beginning, if you're discouraged about your current prayer life, I, I want you to know it really can change. If you tried last week and it dwindled by today, then, then you already know it's, it's a whole lot easier to, to start being devoted to prayer than it is to continue to be devoted to prayer and practice. But don't give up. Don't, don't give up. God commands us to come to him with our needs and our anxieties and everything else. And it's not just a command to be obeyed. It is an absolute gracious invitation of God to us. As J.C. Ryle says, Let's, let us resolve by God's grace that however poor and feeble our prayers may seem to be, we will pray on. Or as Jesus is going to teach us later in Luke, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he tells us to, you know, pray always and do not lose heart. And if prayer is going to be a priority in your life, I'm going to give you a few verses to just become familiar with, or, or better yet, memorize, right? Uh, Hebrews 4.16, which says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Or the words of Jesus in, in Matthew 26.41, where he tells his disciples, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Or, or the encouragement, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it's one of the first verses anyone wants to memorize. Why? Because it's three words, right? Pray without, right? Pray without ceasing. ceasing. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And, and one more, Ephesians 6.18, that we are to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication requests for them. Do you get that? We should be praying for each other. You know, I want to know that you're praying for me and I want to be committed to praying for you and for that to be true across all of us. And so then in short, this teaching of Jesus confirms that God hears us when we pray and he cares about our needs that we bring to him and he wants us to, to learn to come with him with this shameless persistence constantly, constantly. To keep going to him, asking, seeking knocking expectantly. And so we pray for all sorts of things, whether we're talking about life or death matters or, or simply a parking lot in a crowded, crowded place. Now, I want to end then with this, this quick story from the life of George Mueller. George Mueller was an evangelist in the uh, 17th century, so a long time ago. Um, and, and he had this shamelessly persistent prayer for the salvation of a particular friends of his. He prayed for this friend of his for over 60 years. He'd encourage others at, at times to pray for him and encourage others to pray this way, saying, never give up until the answer comes. Keep praying. Mueller said confidently of his unbelieving friend uh, to someone on one occasion, he's not converted yet, but he will be. How many of you can make a confident statement like that? Right? We're so afraid sometimes. Be bold and confident this way. When, when, when Mueller died, this prayer for this man's salvation remained 
unanswered. But then a few years afterwards, after Mueller's death, God did answer this prayer that, that was prayed with shameless persistence for over 60 years. And the friend came to believe the gospel, to trust in Jesus, knowing he needed a savior. And he was saved from his sin. Most of us know, you and I know, there are an endless number of other examples like this. Where we see prayers answered for uh, the redemption of people's souls. Prayers answered for, for friends that are going through depression or, or, or they need deliverance from addiction. Prayers answered for uh, medical healings of all sorts. Prayers answered, even, even the smaller things, right? Prayers answered for, there's, there's the parking lot I pray for. Well, hopefully it's a spot, not a whole lot. You know? And so may our life as children of God be lived in heartfelt conversation with our glorious and gracious Heavenly Father as we come to Him boldly, often, very often, and we bring to Him all of our need, all of our praise, all of our anxieties, bring everything to Him. Let's pray. Mighty God, You are a good Father. And you hear our prayers. And we so often pray as though we're not convinced that you hear us or not convinced that you care or not convinced that you can even do anything to help. Lord, would you, would you take those qualifiers off our prayer life? Would you give us faith to believe not only in Jesus, but faith to come to you in prayer more and more and more, believing the truth that you hear us and care and will answer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.